Section 13 of The Black Prophet by William Carleton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Section 13. The peddler, on entering, found old Henderson sitting in an armchair with one of his legs, as usual, bandaged and stretched out before him on another chair. He seemed much worn and debilitated and altogether had the appearance of a man whose life was not worth a single week's purchase. Scanadra was about taking leave of his patron, the son, who had been speaking to him as the peddler entered. "'Don't be uneasy, Darby,' he said. "'We can't give you a lease for about a week or fortnight. But the agent is now here, and we must first take out new leases ourselves.' As soon as we do, you shall have yours. If you only knew, your honor, the scrapin' I had in these hard times to get together that hundred... Hush there, said the other, clapping his hand, with an air of ridicule and contempt upon the miser's mouth. That will do now. Be off, and depend upon... Mum, you understand, Mo. Ha, ha, ha! That's not a bad move, father, he added. However, I think we must give him the farm. The peddler had been standing in the middle of the floor when young Dick, turning round, suddenly asked him with a frown, occasioned by the fact of his having overheard this short dialogue, what he wanted. God save your honors, gentlemen, said the peddler in a loud, straightforward voice. I'm glad to see your honor looking so well, he added, turning to the father. It's fresh and young you're getting, sir. Glory be to God. Who is this fellow, Dick? Do you think I look better, my man? Says Jimmy Brannigan to me afore I came in, proceeded the peddler. He's a true friend of mine, your honor, Jimmy is, and it go to the well of the world's end to serve me. Says he, you'll be delighted, Harry, to see the master look so fresh and well and the cursed old hypocrite is just after telling me dick to prepare for a long journey adding for my consolation that it won't be a troublesome one as it will be all downhill why replied the son he has given you that information for the ten thousandth time to my own knowledge what does this man want what's your business my good fellow begging your pardon sir replied the peddler will you allow me to ask you one question were you ever in the forty-seventh foot oh bedad it must be him to a certainty he added as if to himself no replied dick why so take care your honor said the peddler smiling roguishly take care now your honor if it wasn't you what are you speaking about what do you mean asked the young man the peddler went over to him and said in a low voice looking cautiously at the father as if he didn't wish that he should hear him it was surely your honor took away lord handicap's daughter when you were an ensign the handsome ensign as they called you in the forty-seventh eh fay i knew you the minute i looked at you ha 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 do you know what father he says i'm the handsome ensign of the 47th that took away Lord Handicap's daughter. The greatest beauty in all England, added the peddler. And I knew him once, your honor. 
"'Well, Dick, that's a compliment at any rate,' replied the father. "'Were you ever in the forty-seventh? asked the son, smiling. "'Aha!' returned the peddler with a knowing wink. "'Behave yourself, Captain. I'm not so soft as all that comes to. "'But sure as I have a favour to ax from your honour, your father, "'I'm glad to have your assistance. "'Fay, by all accounts, you pleaded your own cause well at any rate, "'and I hope you'll give me a lift now with his honour here.' Dick the younger laughed heartily, but really had not ready virtue sufficient about to disclaim the peddler's compliment. "'Come, then,' he added, "'let us hear what your favour is. "'Oh, then, thank you, and God bless you, Captain. "'It's this, only to know if you'd be good enough to grant a new lease of Carrah Farm to young Condy Dalton, for the old man, by all accounts, is not long for this world.' Both turned their eyes upon him with a look of singular astonishment who are you at all my good fellow asked the father or oh, what devil drove you here on such an impudent message a lease to the son of that old murderer and his crew of beggars that's good dick well done soldier will you back him in that captain ha 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 damn me if i ever heard the like of it "'I hope you will back me, Captain,' said the peddler. "'Upon what grounds, comrade? Ha, ha, ha! Go on, let us hear you.' "'Why, Your Honour, because he's best entitled to it. Think of what it was when he got it, and think of what it is now, and then ask yourselves who raised it in value and made it worth twist what it was worth.' "'Wasn't it the Daltons? Didn't they lay out near eight hundred pounds upon it? "'And didn't you at every renewal screw them up, begging your pardon, gentlemen, "'until they found that the more they improved it, the poorer they were getting, "'and now that it lies there worth double its value, "'and they that made it so, to put money into your pocket, beggars, "'within a few hundred yards of it, wouldn't it?' be rather hard to let them die and starve in destitution and them wishing to get it back as a reasonable rent in this country brother soldier replied dick ironically we generally starve first and die afterwards you may well say so your honour and god knows there's not upon the face of the earth a country where starvation is so much practised or so well understood faith unfortunately it's the national diversion with us however is what i'm saying reasonable gentlemen exceedingly so said dick go on well then i wish to know will you give them a new lease of their farm you do do you troth i do your honour well then replied the son i beg to inform you that we will not why so your honour simply you knave exclaimed the father in a passion because we don't wish it kick him out dick my good friend and brother soldier said dick the fact is that we are about to introduce a new system altogether upon our property we are determined to manage it upon a perfectly new principle it has been too much sublet under us and we have resolved to rectify this evil that is our answer you get no lease provide for yourself and your friends the daltons as best you can but on this property you get no lease that is your answer 
begone now you scoundrel said the father and not a word more out of your head gentlemen gentlemen exclaimed the pedlar have you no consciences is there no justice in the world the misery and sorrow and suffering of this misfortunate family will be upon you i doubt if you don't do them justice touch the bell dick here some one jimmy brannigan harry lowry jack clinton where are you all you scoundrels here put this rascal in the stocks immediately in with him jimmy who from an adjoining room had been listening to every word that passed now entered here you sir clap this vagabond in the stocks for his insolence he has come here purposely to insult myself and my son to the stocks with him at once no replied jimmy the devil save the stock will go on him this day didn't i hear every word that passed and what did he say but the truth and what every one knows to be the truth put him in the stocks i desire you this instant truth if you were to look at your mug in the glass you'd feel that you'll soon be in a worse stocks yourself than ever you put any poor creature into replied the redoubtable jimmy do you be off about your business in the meantime you good-natured vagabond or this old firebrand will get some one with less conscience than i have that'll clap you in them never mind father observed the son let the fellow go about his business he's not worth your resentment the peddler took the hint and withdrew accompanied by jemmy on whose face there was a grin of triumph that he could not conceal i told you he added as they went down the steps that the same stocks was afore you and in the meantime god pardon me for the injustice i did in keeping you out of them go on replied the other devil harsh words ever i'll say to you again troth will you said jimmy and both of us will be as fresh as a daisy in the morning please goodness i have scarcely any one to abuse me or to abuse either now that the old master is so feeble jimmy extended his hand as he spoke and gave the peddler a squeeze the cordiality of which was strongly at variance with the abuse he had given him god bless you said the peddler returning the pressure your bark is worse than your bite i'm off now to mention the reception they gave me and the answers i got to a man that will maybe bring themselves to their marrow-bones afore long ay but don't abuse em for all that replied jimmy for i won't bear it truth returned the other you're a queer jimmy and so god bless you having uttered these words in an amicable and grateful spirit our friend the peddler bent his steps to the head inn of the next town being that of the assizes where mr travers the agent kept his office chapter twenty eight sarah ill mave again heroic young henderson whose passion for mave sullivan was neither virtuous nor honourable would not have lent himself notwithstanding to the unprincipled projects of the prophet had not that unworthy personage gradually and dishonestly drawn him into a false position in other words he led the vain and credulous young man to believe that mave had been seized with a secret affection for him and was willing provided everything was properly managed 
to consent to an elopement. For this purpose it was necessary that the plan should be executed without violence, as the prophet well knew, because on sounding young Dick upon that subject, in an early stage of the business, he had ascertained that the proposal of anything bordering upon outrage or force would instantly cause him to withdraw from the project altogether. For this reason, then, he found it necessary, if possible, to embark Sarah as an accomplice, otherwise he could not effect his design without violence, and he felt that her cooperation was required to sustain the falsehood of his assertions to Henderson with regard to Maeve's consent to place herself under his protection. This was to be brought about so as to hoodwink Henderson in the following manner. The prophet proposed that Sarah should, by his own or her ingenuity, contrive to domicile herself in Jerry Sullivan's house for a few days previous to the execution of their design, not only for the purpose of using her influence such as it was to sway the young creature's mind and principles from the path of rectitude and virtue by dwelling upon the luxury and grandeur of her future life with Henderson, whose intentions were to be represented as honourable, but, if necessary, to leave a free ingress to the house, so as that, under any circumstances, and even with a little violence, Mave should be placed in Henderson's hands. Should the prophet, by his management, effect this, he was to receive a certain sum of money from his employer the moment he, or his party, had her in their possession. For such were the terms of the agreement. Otherwise Donald Dew reserved to himself the alternative of disclosing the matter to her friends and acquainting them with her situation. This, at all events, was readily consented to by Henderson, whose natural vanity and extraordinary opinion of his own merits in the eyes of the sex prevented him from apprehending any want of success with Mave, provided he had an opportunity of bringing the influence of his person and his wonderful powers of persuasion to bear upon such a simple country girl as he considered her to be. So far, then, he had taken certain steps to secure himself, whilst he left Henderson to run the risk of such contingencies as might in all probability arise from the transaction. This, however, was but an underplot of the prophet, whose object was indeed far beyond that of becoming the paltry instrument of a rusty intrigue. It was a custom with Dick of the Grange, for a few years previous to the date of our story, to sleep during the assizes in the head inn of the town, attended by Jimmy Brannigan. This was rendered in some degree necessary by the condition of his bad leg and his extraordinary devotion to convivial indulgence, a propensity to which he gave full stretch during the social license of the grand jury dinners. Now the general opinion was that Henderson always kept large sums of money in the house, an opinion which we believe to have been correct, and which seemed to have been confirmed by the fact that on no occasion were both father and son ever known to sleep out of the house at the same time, to which we may also add another, that is, 
that the whole family were well provided with firearms, which were freshly primed and loaded every night. The prophet, therefore, had so contrived it, that young Dick's design upon Mave Sullivan, or, in other words, the prophet's own design upon the money coffers of the Grange, should render his absence from home necessary whilst his father was swilling at the assizes, by which arrangement, added to others that will soon appear, the house must, to a certain degree, be left unprotected or altogether under the care of dissolute servants, whose habits, caught from those of the establishment, were remarkable for dissipation and neglect. The prophet, indeed, was naturally a plotter. It is not likely, however, that he would ever have thought of projecting the robbery of the Grange, had he not found himself, as he imagined, foiled in his designs upon Mave Sullivan by the instinctive honour and love of truth which shone so brilliantly in the neglected character of his extraordinary daughter. Having first entrapped her into a promise of secrecy, a promise which he knew death itself would scarcely induce her to violate, he disclosed to her the whole plan in the most plausible and mitigated language. Effort after effort was made to work upon her principles, but in vain. Once or twice, it is true, she entertained the matter for a time, but a momentary deliberation soon raised her naturally noble and generous spirit above the turpitude of so vile a project. It was then, in this state of things, that the failure of the one and the lesser plan, through the incorruptible honour of his daughter, drove him upon the larger and more tempting one of the burglary. In this latter he took unto himself as his principal accomplice Red Roddy Duncan, whose anxiety to procure the driver's situation arose from the necessity that existed to have a friend in the house who might aid them in effecting a quiet entrance, and by unloading or wetting the firearms, neutralize the resistance which they might otherwise expect. Sarah's excitement and distraction, however, resulting from her last interview with young Dalton, giving, as it did, a fatal blow to her passion and her hopes, vehement and extraordinary as they were, threw her across her father's path at the precise moment when her great but unregulated spirit, inflamed by jealousy and reckless from despair, rendered her almost accessible to the wily and aggravating arguments with which he tempted and overcame her. Thus did he, as far as human means could devise or foresight calculate, provide for the completion of two plots instead of one. It is true, Mave Sullivan was not left altogether without being forewarned. Nobody, however, had made her acquainted with the peculiar nature of the danger that was before her. Nelly McGowan, as she was called, had strongly cautioned her against both Donnell and Sarah, but then Nelly herself was completely in the dark as to the character of the injury against which she warned her, so that her friendly precautions were founded more upon the general and unscrupulous profligacy of Donnell's principles and his daughter's violence 
than upon any particular knowledge she possessed of her intentions towards her. Mave's own serene and innocent disposition was such in fact as to render her not easily impressed by suspicion, and our readers may have perceived, by the interview which took place between her and Sarah, that from the latter she apprehended no injury. It was on the following day after that interview, about two o'clock, that while she was spreading some clothes upon the garden hedge during a sickly gleam of sunshine, our friend the peddler made his appearance and entered her father's house. Mave, having laid her washing before the sun, went in and found him busily engaged in showing his wares, which consisted principally of cutlery and trinkets. The peddler, as she entered, threw a hasty glance at her, perceived that she shook down her luxuriant hair, which had been disarranged by a branch of thorn that was caught in it while stretching over the hedge. She at once recognized him and blushed deeply, but he seemed altogether to have forgotten her. Ha! he exclaimed, well, that I may be blessed, but it's many a long day since I seen such a head a hair as that. Holy Saint Countryman, but it's a beauty. Musha, oh, Oragal, maybe you'll dispose of it for in tooth, if ever a livin' face could afford to part with its best ornament. Yours is that one. Mave smiled and blushed at the compliment, and the peddler eyed her apparently with a mixed feeling of admiration and compassion. No, she replied, I haven't any desire to part with it. You had the sickness, maybe? Thanks be to the mercy of God, she fervently exclaimed. No one in this family has had it yet. Well, Okra, he continued, if you take my advice, you'll dispose of it in regard that if the sickness, which may God prevent, should come, it will be well for you to have it off you. If you sell it, I'll give you either money or value for it, for indeed, and truth, it flogs all I've seen this many a day. They say, observed her mother, that it's not lucky to sell one's hair, and whether it's true or not I don't know, but I'm told for a certainty that there's not a girl that ever sold it but was sure to catch the sickness. I know that there's truth in that, said Jerry himself. There's Sally Hackett and Mary Gagan and Katie Dowdle all sold it, and not one of them escaped the sickness. And, moreover, didn't I hear Mr. Cooper, the bleedin' doctor, say himself in the market on Saturday that the people couldn't do a worse thing than cut their hair close, as it lets the sickness in by the head, and makes it ten times as hard upon them when it comes? "'Well, well, there's no arguing with you,' said the peddler. "'All I say is that you ought to part with it, Akushla. "'By all means you ought.' "'Never mind him, Mave, darling,' said her mother, "'whose motive in saying so was altogether dictated "'by affectionate apprehensions for her health.' "'No,' replied her daughter, "'it is not my intention, mother, "'to part with what God has given me. "'I have no notion of it.' At this stage of the dialogue, her eldest brother, who had been getting a horse shod at the next forge, entered the house and threw himself carelessly on a chair. 
his appearance occasioned a slight pause in the conversation well denny said the father what's the news bad news with the daltons replied the boy with the daltons exclaimed mave trembling and getting paler if possible than she was for god's mercy dennis what has happened amongst them i met mrs dalton a while ago he replied and she told me that they had no one now to take care of them sarah mcgowan the black prophet's daughter has catched the sickness and is lying in a shed there beyant that a poor travelling family was in about a week ago mrs dalton says her own family isn't worse with the sickness but better she thinks but she was crying the decent creature and she says they'll die with neglect and starvation for she must be out and there's no one to attend to them and they have nothing but the black water god help them while he spoke mave's eyes were fastened upon him as if the sentence of her own life or death was about to issue from his lip gradually however she breathed more freely a pale red tinged her cheek for a moment after which a greater paleness settled upon it again the peddler shook his head ah he exclaimed they are hard times sure enough may the lord bring us all safe through them well i see i'm not likely to make my fortune among you he added smiling so i must tramp on by any way i must thank you for house-room and your civility i'd offer something to eat said mrs sullivan with evident pain but the truth is not a morsel replied the other if the house was overflown god bless you all god bless you mave almost immediately after her brother had concluded passed to another room and returned just as the old peddler had gone out she instantly followed him with a hasty step while he on hearing her foot turned round you told me that you admired my hair she said on coming up to him now supposin i'm willin to sell it to you what ought i to get for it don't be alarmed by what they say inside replied the peddler any regular doctor would tell you that in these times it's safer to part with it that i may be happy but i'm telling you truth what is it worth what are you axin i don't know but for god's sake cut it off and give me the most you can afford for it oh believe me it's not on account of the mere value of it but the money may save lives why ochre what do you intend doing with the money if it's a fair question to ax it's not a fair question for a stranger it's enough for me to tell you that i'll do nothing with it without my father and mother's knowledge here denny she said addressing her brother who was on his way to the stable slip a stool through the windy and stay with me in the barn i want to send you of a message in a few minutes it is only necessary to say that the compensation was a more liberal one than mave had at all expected and the peddler disencumbered her of as rich and abundant a mass of hair as ever ornamented a female head this he did however in such a way as to render the absence of it as little perceptible as might be the side locks he did not disturb and mave when she put on a clean nightcap looked as if she had not undergone any such operation 
as the peddler was going away he called her aside so as that her brother might not hear did you ever see me afore he asked i did she replied blushing well achora he proceeded if ever you happen to be hard set either for yourself or your friends send for me in widow hanlon's house at the grange and maybe i may befriend either you or them that is as far as i can which dear knows is not far but still in all send i'm known as the conny sagar or merry peddler and that'll do god mark you agar her brother's intelligence respecting the situation of the daltons as well as of sarah m'gowan saved mave a long explanation to her parents for the act of having parted with her hair we are able to live barely able to live she exclaimed and thanks be to god we have our health but the daltons oh they'll never get through what they're sufferin'. and that girl oh mother such a girl as that is how little does the world know of the heart that a beautiful creature has may the mercy of god rest upon her this money is for the poor daltons and her we can do without it and mother dear my hair will grow again oh father dear think of it lying in a cold shed by the roadside and no one to help or assist her to hand her a drink to ease her on her hard bed bed no on the cold earth i suppose oh think if i was in that desolate state may god support me but she's the first i'll see and while i have life and strength she mustn't want attendance and thank god her shed's on my way to the daltons she then hastily sent her brother into ballynafail for such comforts as she deemed necessary for both parties and in the meantime putting a bonnet over a clean nightcap she proceeded to the shed in which sarah m'gowan lay on looking at it ere she entered she could not help shuddering it was such a place as the poorest pauper in the poorest cabin would not willingly place an animal in for shelter it simply consisted of a few sticks laid up against the side of a ditch over these sticks were thrown a few scraws that is the sward of the earth cut thin in the inside was the remnant of some loose straw the greater part having been taken away either for bedding or firing when mave entered she started at the singular appearance of sarah from the first moment her person had been known to her until the present she had never seen her look half so beautiful she literally lay stretched upon a little straw with no other pillow than the sod of earth under that rich and glowing cheek while her raven hair had fallen down and added to the milk-white purity of her shining neck and bosom father of mercy exclaimed mave mentally how will she live how can she live here and what will become of her is she to die in this miserable way in a christian land sarah lay groaning with pain and starting from time to time with the pangs of its feverish inflictions mave spoke not when she entered the shed being ignorant whether sarah was asleep or awake but a very few moments soon satisfied her that the unhappy and deserted girl was under the influence of delirium 
I won't break my promise, father, but I'll break my heart, and I can't even give her warning. Ah, but it's treacherous, and I hate that. No, no, I'll have no hand in it. Manage it your own way. It's treacherous. She has crossed my happiness, you say. Aye, and there you're right, so she has. Only for her I might... Am and I as handsome, you say, and as well-shaped? Haven't I as white a skin, as beautiful hair, and as good eyes? People say better. And if I have, wouldn't he come to love me in time, only for her? Or if there wasn't that bar put between us? You're right, you're right. She's the cause of all my suffering and sorrow, she is. I agree, I agree, down with her out of my way with her i hate the thoughts of her and i'll join it for mark me father wicked i may be but more miserable i can't so i'll join you in it what need i care now mave felt her heart sink and her whole being disturbed with a heavy sense of terror as sarah uttered the incoherent rhapsody which we have just repeated the vague but strongly expressed warnings which she had previously heard from nelly and the earnest admonitions which that person had given her to beware of evil designs on the part of donald dhu and his daughter now rushed upon her mind and she stood looking upon the desolate girl with feelings that it is difficult to describe she also remembered that sarah herself had told her in their very last interview that she had other thoughts and worse thoughts than the fair battle of rivalry between them would justify and it was only now too that the unconscious allusion to the prophet struck her with full force her sweet and gentle magnanimity however rose over every other consideration but the frightfully desolate state of her unhappy rival even in this case also her own fears of contagion yielded to the benevolent sense of duty by which she was actuated come what will she said to her own heart we ought to return good for evil and there's no use in knowing what is right unless we strive to put it in practice at any rate poor girl poor generous sarah i'm afeard that you're never likely to do harm to me or any one else in this world may god in his mercy pity and relieve you and restore you once more to health mave unconsciously repeated the last words aloud and sarah who had been lying with her back to the unprotected opening of the shed having had a slight mitigation and but a slight one of the paroxysm under which she had uttered the previous incoherencies now turned round and fixing her eyes upon mave kept sharply but steadily gazing at her for some time it was quite evident however that consciousness had not returned for after she had surveyed mave for a minute or two she proceeded the devil was there a while ago but i wasn't afeard of him because i knew that god was stronger than him and then there came an angel another angel not you and put him away but it wasn't my guardian angel for i never had a guardian angel oh never never no nor any one to take care of me or make me love them she uttered the last words in a tone of such deep and distressing sorrow that mave's eyes filled with tears 
and she replied dear sarah let me be your guardian angel i will do what i can for you do you not know me no i don't aren't you one of the angels that come about me the place is full of them unhappy girl or maybe happy girl exclaimed mave with a fresh gush of tears who knows but the almighty has your cold and deserted bed i can't call it surrounded with things that may comfort you and take care that no evil thing will harm you oh no dear sarah i am far from that i'm a weak sinful mortal because they're about me continually and let me see who are you i know you one of them said a while ago may god relieve you and restore you once more to health i heard the voice dear sarah don't you know me reiterated mave look at me don't you know mave sullivan your friend mave sullivan that knows your value and loves you who she asked starting a little who what name is that who is it say it again don't you know mave sullivan that loves you and feels for your miserable situation my dear sarah i never had a guardian angel nor any one to take care of me nor a mother many a time often often the whole world just to look at her face and to know feel love me oh a drink a drink is there no one to give me a drink i'm burning i'm burning is there no one to get me a drink mave sullivan mave sullivan have pity on me i heard some one name her i heard her voice i'll die without a drink mave looked about the desolate shed and to her delight spied a tin porringer which sarah's unhappy predecessors had left behind them seizing this she flew to a little stream that ran by the place and filling the vessel returned and placed it to sarah's lips she drank it eagerly and looking piteously and painfully up into mave's face she laid back her head and appeared to breathe more freely mave hoped that the drink of cold water would have cooled her fever and assuaged her thirst so as to have brought her to a rational state such a state as would have enabled the poor girl to give some account of the extraordinary situation in which she found herself and of the circumstances which occasioned her to take shelter in such a place in this however she was disappointed sarah having drank the cold water once more shut her eyes and fell into that broken and oppressive slumber which characterizes the terrible malady which had stricken her down for some time she waited with this benign expectation but seeing there was no likelihood of her restoration to consciousness she again filled the tin vessel and placing it upon a stone by her bedside composed the poor girl's dress about her and turned her steps toward a scene in which she expected to find equal misery it is not our intention however to dwell upon it it is sufficient to say that she found the daltons who by the way had a pretty long visit from the peddler as her brother had said beginning to recover and so far this was consolatory but there was not within the walls of the house earthly comfort or food or nourishment of any kind poor mary was 
literally gasping for want of sustenance, and a few hours more might have been fatal to them all. There was no fire, no gruel, milk, or anything that could in the slightest possible degree afford them relief. Her brother Denny, however, who had been desired by her to fetch his purchases directly to their cabin, soon returned, and almost at a moment that might be called the crisis, not of their malady for that had passed, but of their fate itself. His voice was heard, shouting from a distance that he had discharged his commission, for we may observe that no possible inducement could tempt him to enter that or any other house where fever was at work. Mave lost little time in administering to their wants and their weaknesses. With busy and affectionate hands she did all that could be done for them at this particular juncture. She prepared food for Mary, made whey and gruel, and left as much of her little purse as she thought could be spared from the wants of Sarah McGowan. In the course of two or three days afterwards, however, Sarah's situation was very much changed for the better, but until that change was effected, Mave devoted as much time to the poor girl as she could possibly spare. Nor was the force of her example without its beneficial effects in the neighborhood, especially as regarded Sarah herself. The courage she displayed, despite her constitutional timidity, communicated similar courage to others, in consequence of which Sarah was scarcely ever without someone in her bleak shed to watch and take care of her. Her father, however, on hearing of her situation, availed himself of what some of the neighbors considered a mitigation of her symptoms, and with as much care and caution as possible she was conveyed home on a kind of litter and nurse tended by an old woman from the next village nelly having disappeared from the neighborhood the attendance of this old woman by the way surprised the prophet exceedingly he had not engaged her to attend on sarah nor could he ascertain who had upon this subject she was perfectly inscrutable all he could know or get out of her was that she had been engaged, and he could perceive also that she was able to procure her many general comforts, not usually to be had about the sick bed of a person in her condition of life. Mave, during all her attendance upon Sarah, was never able to ascertain whether in the pauses of delirium she had been able to recognize her. At one period, while giving her a drink of whey, she looked up into her eyes with something like a glance of consciousness, mingled with wonder, and appeared about to speak, but in a moment it was gone, and she relapsed into her former state. This, however, was not the only circumstance that astonished Mave. The course of a single week also made a very singular change in the condition of the Daltons. Their miserable cabin began to exhibit an abundance of wholesome food, such as fresh meat, soup, tea, sugar, white bread, and even to wine, to strengthen the invalids. These things were to Mave equally a relief and a wonder, nor were the neighbors less puzzled at such an unaccountable improvement in the circumstances of this 
pitiable and suffering family as in the case of sarah however all these comforts and the source from whence they proceeded were shrouded in mystery it is true mrs dalton smiled in a melancholy way when any inquiries were made about the matter and shaking her head declared that although she knew it was out of her power to break the seal of secrecy or violate the promise she had made to their unknown benefactor sarah's fever was dreadfully severe and for some time after her removal from the shed there was little hope of her recovery our friend the peddler paid her a visit in the very height of her malady and without permission given or asked took the liberty in her father's absence of completely removing her raven hair with the exception as in mave's case of those locks which adorn the face and forehead and to his shame and dishonesty be it told without the slightest offer of remuneration chapter twenty eight double treachery the state of the country at this period of our narrative was indeed singularly gloomy and miserable some improvement however had taken place in the statistics of disease but the destitution was still so sharp and terrible that there was very little diminution of the tumults which still prevailed indeed the rioting in some districts had risen to a frightful extent the cry of the people was for either bread or work and to still if possible this woeful clamour local committees by large subscriptions aided in some cases by loans from government contrived to find them employment on useful public works previous to this nothing could surpass the prostration and abject subserviency with which the miserable crowds solicited food or labor only give them labor at any rate say sixpence a day and they did not wish to beg or violate the laws no no only give them peaceable employment and they would rest not only perfectly contented but deeply grateful in the meantime the employment they sought for was provided not at sixpence but at one and sixpence a day so that for a time they appeared to feel satisfied and matters went on peaceably enough this however was too good to last there was ever among such masses of people unprincipled knaves known as politicians idle vagabonds who hate all honest employment themselves and ask no better than to mislead and fleece the ignorant unreflecting people however or wherever they can these fellows read and expound the papers on sundays and holidays rail not only against every government no matter what its principles are but in general attack all constituted authority without feeling one single spark of true national principle or independent love of liberty it is such corrupt scoundrels that always assail the executive of the country and at the same time supply the official staff of spies and informers with their blackest perjurers and traitors in truth they are always the first to corrupt and the first to betray 
you may hear these men denouncing government this week and see them strutting about the castle its pampered instruments and insolent with its patronage the next if there be a strike conspiracy or cabal of any kind these patriots are at the bottom of it and wherever ribbonism and other secret societies do not exist there they are certain to set them a-going for only a short time were these who had procured industrial employment permitted to rest satisfied with the efforts which had been made on their behalf the patriots soon commenced operations eighteen pence a day was nothing the government had plenty of money and if the people wished to hear a truth it could be told them by those who knew listen heather as the munstermen say the country gentlemen and the committees are putting half the money into their own pockets this being precisely what the knaves would do themselves if they were in their places and for that reason we'll strike for higher wages in this manner were the people led first into folly and ultimately into rioting and crime for it is not in point of fact those who are suffering most severely that take a prominent part in these senseless tumults or who are the first to trample upon law and order the evil example is set to those who do suffer by these factious vagabonds and under such circumstances and betrayed by such delusions the poor people join the crowd and find themselves engaged in the outrage before they have time to reflect upon their conduct at the time of which we write however the government did not consider it any part of its duty to take a deep interest in the domestic or social improvement of the people the laws of the country at that period had but one aspect that of terror for it was evident that the legislature of the day had forgotten that neither an individual nor a people can both love and fear the same object at the same time the laws checked insubordination and punished crime and having done this the great end and object of all law was considered to have been attained we hope however the day has come when education progress improvement and reward will shed their mild and peaceful lustre upon our statute books and banish from them those draconian enactments that engender only fear and hatred breathe of cruelty and have their origin in a tyrannical love of blood we have said that the aspect of the country was depressing and gloomy but we may add here that these words convey but a vague and feeble idea of the state to which the people at large were reduced the general destitution the famine sickness and death which had poured such misery and desolation over the land left as might be expected their terrible traces behind them indeed the sufferings which a year of famine and disease and they usually either accompany or succeed each other inflicts upon the multitudes of poor are such as no human pen could at all describe so as to portray a picture sufficiently faithful to the dreary and death-like spirit which should breathe in it 
upon the occasion we write of nothing met you go where you might but suffering and sorrow and death to which we may add tumult and crime and bloodshed scarcely a family but had lost one or more every face you met was an index of calamity and bore upon it the unquestionable impressions of struggle and hardship cheerfulness and mirth had gone and were forgotten all the customary amusements of the people had died away almost every house had a lonely and deserted look for it was known that one or more beloved beings had gone out of it to the grave a dark heartless spirit was abroad the whole land in fact mourned and nothing on which the eye could rest bore a green or a thriving look or any symptom of activity but the churchyards and here the digging and delving were incessant at the early twilight during the gloomy noon the dreary dusk and the still more funeral-looking light of the midnight taper the first days of the assizes were now near and among all those who awaited them there was none whose fate excited so profound an interest as that of old condy dalton his family had now recovered from their terrible sufferings and were able to visit him in his prison a privilege which was awarded to them as a mark of respect for their many virtues and of sympathy for their extraordinary calamities and trials they found him resigned to his fate but stunned with wonder at the testimony on which he was likely to be convicted the peddler who appeared to take so singular an interest in the fortunes of his family sought and obtained a short interview with him in which he requested him to state as accurately as he could remember the circumstances on which the prosecution was founded precisely as they occurred this he did closing his account by the usual burden of all his conversation ever since he went to gaol i know i must suffer but i think nothing of myself only for the shame it will bring upon my family sarah's unexpected illness disconcerted at least one of the projects of donald dhu there were now only two days until the assizes and she was as yet incapable of leaving her bed although in a state of convalescence this mortified the prophet very much but his subtlety and invention never abandoned him it struck him that the most effectual plan now would be as sarah's part in aiding to take away mave was out of the question to merge the violence to which he felt they must resort into that of the famine riots and under the character of one of these tumults to succeed if possible in removing mave from her father's house ere her family could understand the true cause of her removal those who were to be engaged in this were besides principally strangers to whom neither mave nor her family were personally known and as a female cousin of hers an orphan had come to reside with them until better times should arrive it would be necessary to have some one among the party who knew mave sufficiently to make no mistake as to her person for this purpose judiciously fixed upon thomas dalton as the most appropriate individual to execute 
this act of violence against the very family who were likely to be the means of bringing his father to a shameful death. This young man had not yet recovered the use of his reason so as to be considered sane. He still roved about as before, sometimes joining the mobs and leading them on to the outrage, and sometimes sauntering in a solitary mood, without seeming altogether conscious of what he did or said. To secure his cooperation was a matter of little difficulty, and the less so as he heard, with infinite satisfaction, that Dalton was perpetually threatening every description of vengeance against the Sullivans about to be tried, and very likely to suffer for the murder. It was now the day but one previous to the commencement of the Assizes, and our readers will be kind enough to accompany us to the Grange, or rather to the garden of the Grange, at the gate of which our acquaintance Red Roddy is knocking. He has knocked two or three times, and sent on each occasion Hanlon, old Dick, young Dick, together with all the component parts of the establishment, to a certain territory where, so far as its legitimate historians assure us, the coldness of the climate has never been known to give any particular offence. I know he's inside, for didn't I see him going in? Well, may all the devils— <clears throat> Oh, good morrow, Charlie. Troth, you'd make a good messenger for death. I'm knocking here till I have lost the use of my arm with downright fatigue. Never mind, Roddy. You'll recover it before you're twice married. Come in. They then entered. Well, Roddy, what's the news? What the news, is it? Why, then it's anything in the shape of news, of good news, I mean, to be had in such a country as this. Truth, it's a shame for any one that has health and limbs to remain in it, and now that you're answered, what's the news yourself, Charlie? I hope that the driver's ship's safe at last. I thought I was to sleep at home in my comfortable berth last, not now till after the sizes, Roddy. The master's goin' to them, because I heard he wasn't able. He's goin', he says, happen what may. He thinks it's the last visit to them, and I agree with him. He'll soon have a greater sizes and a different judge to meet. Ay, Charlie, think of that now, and tell me he sleeps in Ballyfanale as usual. Eh, now? He does, of course. And Jimmy Brannigan goes along with him? Are you foolish, Coddy? Do you think he could live without him? Well, I believe not. Truth, whenever the old fellow goes in the next world, there'll be no keeping Jimmy from him. How endeavour to drop that? Isn't these poor times, Charlie, and isn't this a poor country to live in, or it would be nearer the truth to say starvin'? No, but it would be the truth itself, replied the other. What is there over the whole country but starvation and misery? Any dreams about America since, Charlie, hey now? Maybe I, and maybe no, Roddy. Is it true that Tom Dalton threatens all kinds of vengeance on the Sullivans? Aye, it is, and the whole country says that he's as ready to knock one of them on the head as ever the father before him was. They don't think the better of the old man for it, but what do you mean by maybe I and maybe no, Charlie? What do you mean by axing me? 
each looked keenly for some time at the other as he spoke and after this there was a pause at length hanlon placing his hand upon roddy's shoulder replied roddy it won't do i know the design and i tell you now that one word from my lips could have you brought up at the assizes tried and i won't say the rest you're betrayed the ruffian's lip fell his voice faltered and he became pale i proceeded the other you may well look astonished but listen you talk about going to america do you wish to go of course i do replied buddy of course not a doubt of it well proceeded hanlon again listen still your plans discovered you're betrayed but i can't tell you who betrayed you i'm not at liberty now listen i say come this way couldn't you and i ourselves do the thing couldn't we make the hall and couldn't we cut off to america without any danger to signify that is if you can be faithful faithful he exclaimed by all the books that was ever open and shut i'm truth and honesty itself so i am how endeavor you said i was betrayed but i can't tell you the man that told me whether you're able to guess at him or not i don't know but the truth is roddy i've taken a likin' to you and if you'll just stand the trial i'm going to put you to i'll be a friend to you the best you ever had too well charley said the other plucking up courage a little for the fellow was a thorough coward what is the trial the man continued hanlon that betrayed you gave me one account of what you're about but whether he told me truth or not i don't know till i hear another and that's yours now you see clearly roddy that i'm up to all as it is so you need not be a bit backward in tellin the whole truth i say you're in danger and it's only trustin to me mark that by trustin faithfully to me that you'll get out of it and please the fates i hope that before three months is over we'll be both safe and comfortable in america do you understand that i had my dreams roddy but if i had there must be nobody but yourself and me to know them it wasn't i that first thought of it but donald do replied roddy i never dreamt that he'd turn traitor though don't be sayin to-morrow or next day that i said he did replied hanlon do you mind me now a nod's as good as a wink to a blind horse end of section thirteen